it is thought that the Apostle Paul was in the city of Corinth when he wrote his letter to the Christians in Rome. There is no designation within the book that actually gives that location. But the scholars say that he spent much time in that city of Corinth. And it is very likely that he was doing the writing there. In, in this epistle, he outlines so beautifully his theology. He shares this honest reflection with those who he hopes will not only receive this, but take it into their lives as well as being a part of what he has been given in Christ. The honesty of that reflection comes very, very, becomes very, very evident in the chapter before the one out of which we read these verses today. <clears throat> Let me read for you just a few verses from the end of chapter 7. <clears throat> so I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you hear his confession there? That even though he is a leader who has traveled around as an ambassador of Christ, this adopted apostle who is building the church as we have come to know it to be, he is saying that he has had his struggles with sin. That there are parts of him that are beyond, it seems, his control to put in right order. It is only by the grace of God that he is able to set things right. <clears throat> this passage we consider today evidences very, very deep thought about his situation in particular. It begins with the words, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. What are the sufferings of this present time? For Paul, there were any number of things. He did not spend much time writing about it, although there is one place where his frustration reached a fevered pitch when he was feeling that the people in Corinth were being led astray by those who really did not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were receiving a gospel that was less than what he had given to them. He began to share with the people in Corinth by way of a letter and explain to them what he had been through as an evidence of his commitment to the cause in the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, 
This is what he says about what he had experienced. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. The 39 lashes, they didn't give the, the 40th one because they had it on good authority that that would kill a person. Five times he received that lashing. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides other things, I'm under daily pressure because of my anxiety over all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I am not indignant. I must boast. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul was wanting to be honest. Sufferings are difficult. You know that. There's not a soul that's sitting here in this place today that does not realize some sort of suffering in life. But Paul wants us to know that in his heart, all of that is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul is peering expectantly into the future and this is where we go so wrong because you and I become distracted with the suffering in fact we will crumble in upon ourselves if the suffering gets so bad because we think to ourselves the suffering is the evidence that God doesn't care for us which is the exact opposite of what's going on God cares so deeply and in fact if we are conscious of God's presence, we will realize that God is with us in our suffering and helping us to have the strength to move beyond. The beginnings of the church are profound for Paul. For in these beginnings, he sees God at work doing greater things than even the church can imagine. I remember years ago, I, I mean, literally, it has, been, it has been 35 years ago, I had a conversation with someone who was entering into a new form of ministry. And I remember that conversation particularly because she had nothing. In fact, all she had was a little farmhouse where she was going to set up a house of prayer and I, I remember talking with her and saying to her, you have nothing. And her response to me was, but in your dreams, anything is possible. Now, she was teaching me. She was teaching me how to look with the eyes of God. In your dreams, all things 
are possible. I've been particularly aware of the process of waiting recently. Our fifth grandchild is on the way. Am I bragging? Um, a little girl, they tell us. And I wonder what she is thinking right now. I wonder if she is longing for birth. I don't know what's in the mind, mind of a child who has not yet been delivered. Is she waiting? Does she have any notion that something very important is about to happen? I can tell you that her mother, our daughter Rachel, is very, very conscious of the fact that something important is about to happen. For she has been waiting eight months now in greater expectation each day. Every portion of the day is measured out for her in some sort of waiting for that moment. She goes nowhere now without her hand on her belly, feeling the kicks and the bumps to let her know that this little one will soon be present to hold. The bonding that is so real, but not yet fully fulfilled. What a powerful thing this is. You see, though, don't you, that this is exactly what's going on with the Apostle Paul. For he is, he is like the midwife for the church. And as he looks expectantly, not at what he sees, he is able to comprehend the larger portion of what God has in store. He's able to see further than the church itself is able to see. This is why he is this prophetic voice. This is why he is an apostle. Because he is able to see beyond what the church itself can see. What God is doing with all of them. But this is a strange statement that he makes. For in the scripture he says, for the creation waits. It's not just Paul that's waiting. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing. And if you look a few verses down further into this passage, you see the way that he puts it. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains up until now. What a powerful thing it is to think about this. That all of creation, all of creation is expected. Now, Shelley Murphy was sharing with me just recently that a couple of months ago she went out with the preschoolers where she is the director of our preschool here at Bittman Park. She went out with the preschoolers and helped them to plant some seeds just outside the door of the preschool. Have you driven by and see, seen that sunflower that's taller than the edge of the roof of our building? It's a beautiful, beautiful sight. Who would have ever expected it to get that tall? I can tell you that not a single preschooler, not even Shelley, 
expected to see a sunflower grow like that. Somebody better harvest those seed and multiply it because it is a sight to behold. It appears that Paul is looking at creation infused with expectancy. Wherever he looks, whatever he sees, he sees with the eyes of God to know that God is doing something that cannot be reversed. That even though there is suffering and even though there are difficulties that the church is dealing with, there is a sense in Paul's mind that all creation is on the verge of seeing something so very special, waiting specifically for the revealing of the children of God, waiting for the world to see the church as it was meant to be. It reminds me of those words of the wonderful poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning. You may remember her saying, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what God is doing because we're not paying such good attention. We are very distracted. A minister friend of mine shared with me that when he was in seminary that the Archbishop of France came to speak at his school. And in chapel, the Archbishop, in his telling of his stories said that there was a a group of three young Frenchmen who were in a pub this sounds like the beginning of a joke doesn't it but there were three young Frenchmen that were in this pub and they were bored to death and so they began thinking of things that they could do and two of them agreed that they would challenge the third young man at the table to, to go to the confessional at the local cathedral. And they said, no, don't just go to the confessional. We want you to confess stuff that you could never imagine doing. And so make it good. Set the priest's ears on fire with this confessional. And if you'll do that, we'll get you the best bottle of wine in this pub. And lo and behold, this young man took him up on this and went to the cathedral. And there at the back of the cathedral was the confessional booth. And the young man went into the booth and the priest, the wise old priest that was there, just listened as the boy went on and on about all the things for which he needed uh, forgiveness. And finally, when he came to the end, the priest was silent as he had been all along. And the boy said, well, aren't you going to tell me what to do for penance? Aren't you going to tell me how many Hail Marys or how many Our Fathers to speak? And the priest 
walked out of the booth with the boy there beside him and he said well he said I have I have but one thing to tell you to do and the boy said well what's that and the priest said I I would have you to walk down the center aisle of the cathedral toward the crucifix that is there at the altar and all the way I want you to gaze into the eyes of the Christ figure and to look at the wounds of his hands and his feet and on the way down I want you to speak these words aloud I want you to say you did all of this for me and and pardon my French this was the Archbishop saying this he said you did all of this for me and I don't give a damn and so the boy knew what he was up against and he began his journey down that aisle there were a few people that were scattered throughout that sanctuary who were bowed in prayer and he said nothing until he got down to the very front he had looked up at this crucifix and when he got down to the front he began to speak the words quietly he said you did all this for me and I and his voice caught and the Archbishop went on to tell the story that the young boy at that point began crying and he raced out of that cathedral and then he went on to say 50 years ago I was that boy I was that boy we don't know what God is seeking to do with us but I can tell you for those that can have a vision that God is active in this world if we look into his eyes if we look into his woundedness if we see his suffering you remember Jesus said take up your cross daily and follow me if we look and if we participate in that suffering knowing that God is present with us it can transform all of life Paul continues saying for, for the creation was subjected to futility and we know this all too well sometimes it doesn't matter how much you scramble against it it seems that the world is fading away and this is the nature of sin it was Pope Gregory that finally made it a concise list of seven deadly sins pride and envy and anger and sloth and greed and gluttony and lust but that is a very limited list and does not show well the multitude of things that you and I have to deal with in any given day I saw a t-shirt the other day and on the t-shirt it said the real deadly sins 
And this is the list that was below that on the t-shirt. The real deadly sins. Apathy. Cruelty. Duplicity. Hypocrisy. False morality. Abuse of power. Cultivated ignorance. I think this was a very intelligent person that was wearing that t-shirt. But you get the connections, don't you? Sin destroys us. Some people want to pretend that sin is not real. That Satan is not at work in the world. Was it C.S. Lewis that said the chief agenda of Satan is to make you believe that Satan doesn't exist. <laughs> that evil is very real in our world. And that sin destroys innocence. Adam and Eve knew that. That sin destroys ideals. The rich young man that came to ask Jesus how he might enter into the kingdom. He knew that. Sin destroys our will. The writer of Hebrews said that it hardens our hearts, hardens our soul, our existence. Sin produces this slavery where we are bound to keep engaged with the sin that has already captured us. Sin produces more sin. Sin produces this sickness and this pain that is a part of life. Am I speaking truth to anybody here today? Haven't you experienced this? This pain that is a part of life and living that will not let go until it has seeped in and left only this thing of death behind were it not for Christ himself who calls us to a different answer sin can be so very personal with our decisions but it has this larger corporate societal dimension that some of us are a part of and yet do not know it. Some of you will remember me sharing that my grandparents on my father's side lived up in Cartersville when that community was not a bedroom community for Atlanta. Now it is covered with this expanse of residences and businesses. But back in the day, it was just cotton fields and farms and my grandparents were working one little section of that area and had a farmhouse that they lived in a small little structure they didn't even own it they were just working the property and they lived in this little frame house and 
I remember that when I was, I think about four years old, that we were there for a visit, and I was fascinated with Mama Shunall's washing machine, which was on the back porch. And it was fascinating to me because it wasn't anything like the washing machine that we had at our house. Her washing machine had this agitation that went on below in this tub, but above it there was this spinner type thing through which you would run your clothes to wring the water out of it. Do any of you have any memory of that kind of a washing machine? Well, let me tell you that for a four-year-old child, that was just fascinating. Without her knowing, and I'm sure she had given me warnings, but it wasn't good enough, but I pushed a chair up to the edge of that thing and I just had to touch it because those rollers were running as the washing machine was doing the washing, even if you weren't putting clothes through it. And I touched it and immediately I began to be wrung out. <laughs> my fingers disappeared through that little machine and then my, my arm and it began to to roll up my arm and were it not for a safety latch on that thing that arm wouldn't be here today but I started hollering of course wondering how far it was going to go before it stopped and my grandmother came running immediately and saw the situation and she just about died of fright knowing that she had care of of me and my parents were going to be coming back too and she, she hollered, she, she opened that machine real quick. I can remember her scooping me up in her arms and running to her neighbor's house and hollering, get the alcohol, get the alcohol. It scared me and her to death. Have any of you ever had that kind of experience? I'm not talking about with a washing machine. I'm talking about laying your hands or your sight on something that pulled you in and had hold of you and you did not know how to get loose from it. Sin is like that. That's why this is such an important matter. Why does it have to be this way? I cannot answer that. The, the youth are meeting this evening to continue their questions with each other but that is one of the things that are on the youth's mind why is it the way that it is I cannot tell you the reason for that but I can tell you the answer for the way thing is and that is that Christ wishes to free us from all that would entrap us The Greek word for sin is harmatia, which means missing the mark. And it sounds like some simple mistake, some unintentional error, but it's not that. There is some level on all of our parts, there is some level of consciousness to the choices that we make. 
we say it over and over, but we don't really take it to heart. In fact, we use it almost as an excuse. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As if to say, we're all sinners here. Get over it. <laughs> you know, that's not what Paul was getting at. Not in any way, shape, or form. If you think that's the theology of Paul, you've missed it. You need to reread Romans. Because what he is suggesting is that you and I, as far as the Christ is in us, would repel those things that are working toward our destruction and the destruction of the world. But in Christ... We live with an intention to love God and to love our neighbors. And this is what has captured his heart. This expectation, this, this hope that it is happening, that it is already happening. And that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Uh, a pastor at an uptown church was in conversation with the janitor of the church who happened to also be a pastor himself at a small country congregation on the weekends. And as they had this conversation, the uptown pastor said to the janitor of the church, he, he, said, he said, what you preaching on on Sunday? And the janitor said, I'm preaching on Revelations. And the uptown pastor said, well, that's pretty tough stuff to preach on. <laughs> and the janitor said, well, not so. But the uptown pastor said, but I've been to seminary. And that's a hard book to understand. The janitor said, well, I've always thought about it fairly simple. And the uptown pastor said, in what way? And the janitor said, well, for me, it just means, in the end, God wins. Can't you see this happening? In the world today, even in all the difficulties that you and I are experiencing, the suffering that's a part of our lives and all of humanity, can't you see what God is doing? As I speak these words, the sufferings of this present time, it is profoundly evident to me, profound sadness is a part of our hearts right now. If it's not, we are completely insensitive to what's going on in the world. To know that the Taliban is invading Kabul as I speak. As I speak. Think about the significance of this. And closer to home, with all the difficulties of Politics in Haiti. We've been afraid to send a team down there the last couple of years because of COVID, but also because of the politics that are involved. 
and now an earthquake on top of that. Where does this suffering go? Why does it have to be this way? But Paul goes on, but the creation will be set free from this bondage to decay. And do you believe that? The the creation will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And living with this hope, we must work with God on it. And one of the best places to start is in confession, which moves to repentance, which moves to real change, which moves us to transforming that which is wrong with the picture. I love verse 24, which we did not get to. For in it, Paul simply says, For in hope we are saved. Amen.